get your Bibles, get your Bibles and go with me to the sixth chapter, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter six. I want to look at Isaiah's conversion and what that meant. I want to look at that uh, narrative where Isaiah has an experience with God and what that experience not only means to him, but how we can juxtapose Isaiah's experience in our own lives that will make us the people that God really would have us to be. What, what strikes me about this passage of Scripture, and uh, when you look at this text in context, Isaiah is a priest born into the priesthood. We all know that Jewish priests of antiquity uh, had to be born into the priesthood. Um, you didn't just volunteer because you were of the tribe of Asher or any of the other tribes and all of a sudden you want to be a priest and you feel this calling and this uh, this uh, revelation from God that you want to preach and teach and do priestly stuff uh, it was a part of your heritage priestly work in biblical antiquity was a part of what your father did and you were designated to follow the family legacy and in light of that it, it, it takes this sixth chapter of Isaiah to a whole nother level of meaning for me. Uh, the book of Isaiah is a very powerful book, and it comes from the mind and heart of this transformed priest. The book of Isaiah uh, is the oldest of the major books of the Old Testament. There are five major writings. They call the five books of prophecy the, the uh, five major prophets. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. Uh, he is the first one to prophesy about the impending doom of Jerusalem. Um, and I wondered for many years why would Isaiah be called one of the major prophets and of one of the five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel? And those make up the majority of the Old Testament in terms of the, the body of writings. And, and I thought, well, maybe there's some reason why they're called the major prophets, but... Uh, sometimes we can have paralysis of analysis and overanalyze something. They're the major prophets because they're the biggest books. <laughs> they're, they're the largest body of writings in the Old Testament. Um, and and what, what, what captures my attention about, uh, especially the book of Isaiah and really some of the major prophets, uh, is because the Bible itself as a document was actually compiled during the Babylonian captivity when 
the people of God were taken into exile. Up to that point, there were no official writings. There, there was no Torah. Uh, there were uh, tables of stones. The commandments were written on tables of stones. And uh, for many years, up until um, the captivity, um, the stories of Noah and creation, the stories of of um, of the old uh, ancient story of the Tower of Babel, they were all passed down from generation to generation. Um, but when they were brought into captivity, when uh, Israel, the people of God, were taken into Babylonian as into Babylon as captives, the people especially the priests, actually thought that the Jewish nation would be eviscerated and eliminated forever. As a people, they thought that they were going to be extinct. So in order to maintain their history and their heritage and in order to try to maintain uh, some sense of of, of life after they had been eliminated, what the priests decided to do was they decided to take all of the stories of antiquity, the stories of Noah and creation, and, and, and create a document that we now know as the Torah or the Old Testament. And uh, it was during captivity, during those 70 years of captivity, uh, that uh, the major prophets, through the priests, documented the story and the history of God's people to that place and to that time. And, um, and so because of that, that's why you have in the Old Testament the majority of the Old Testament uh, written in the five major prophets because most of the Bible of, concerning the Old Testament was compiled during the exilic period when they were in captivity. It's kind of like, um, how many of you remember the, the movie Roots? A powerful story. And um, Alex Haley wrote the, the movie, the book Roots, and it became a, 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 a kind of, it became a, a classic uh, in American culture, and and uh, but what happened was that um, he decided that all of the stories of Kunta Kinte and Chicken George and Aunt Kizzy and all of the family memories they were passed down from generation through verbal stories because let's face it. Uh, in the 1800s and the 1900s, early 1900s, you didn't have television. You didn't have internet. There was no Facebook. Um, uh, there was nothing to entertain families but each other. Like, if the truth be told, we've gotten away from family dinners in the evening. I remember when I was coming up, everybody would gather at the dinner table, and mother would ask me, how was your day? What did you learn at school? And 
Everybody, it was a check-in time for the family. And now that's that's a thing of the past because uh, Johnny is at Old McDonald's and and uh, uh, Sue is at Burger King and um, the third child stops at Jack in the Box. Mom gets something. Dad probably stops at Happy Hour and gets some chicken wings and. The, <laughs> <laughs> there's no family gathering anymore and everybody's information now comes from the internet facebook television and people are sitting uh, i have to watch myself you know we're on the couch wife and i on the couch you know and i'm on my cell phone flipping through facebook she's on her ipad you know making her comments and and we're in the same house don't even talk to each other How many, how, how many of you know that we're in an age where people don't interact with each other anymore? And so, but, but that was not the case. They would, they would sit at the dinner table and, and, and the parents would pass down the stories of, of old and, and you knew your family history. And so what Alex Haley decided to do is to put together the book called Roots based on all of the stories, and, and he compiled this masterful piece. And uh, it, it, it gave documentation of history in a very serious way. That's the way the Old Testament was put together. The priest brought together all of the, of the stories of old and, and created this document. And that's why the five major prophets contain the largest body of writings in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah being the first one, and it was a very powerful piece because uh, it it symbolizes to some degree the, the, the paradigm of the Bible itself. Because if you look at the book of Isaiah, check it out when you get home. If you look at the book, book of Isaiah, there are 66 chapters as the Bible contains 66 books. Uh, it's divided in two sections, 1st Isaiah and 2nd Isaiah. 1st Isaiah from chapters 1 to chapters 39, 2nd Isaiah from chapters 40 to chapter 66, as the Bible contains 39, 27 books in the New Testament, and Second Isaiah has 27 chapters uh, in Second Isaiah. But not only is it like the Bible, it's called a miniature Bible in terms of its numeric construction. It is also considered a miniature Bible in its meaning, its message, uh, its language. The first part of Isaiah, like the New, like the Old Testament, is is prophecy with a prophetic utterance about judgment okay um, and in the New Testament uh, in the New Testament it is deliverance through Jesus Christ and in the second part of Isaiah it is deliverance through King Cyrus because God never impends in imputes judgment with also giving us a promise of deliverance. Amen. Uh, if you notice, 
chapters 1 through 39 of the book of Isaiah. It is a prophetic utterance of gloom and doom and destruction. But in chapter 40, there is a shift in the tone and the tenor and the language uh, in chapter 40. If you notice, there's a, there's a shift in, 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 in the language and it, it intensifies and it, it, all of a sudden Isaiah becomes poetic and he starts talking language like, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faileth not, neither is weary. There's no searching and it goes on to, to, to uh, write that very classic verse in uh, verse 28 through 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Amen. They shall mount up with wings as eagles because what I love about God is that God will never judge us without giving us a hope for deliverance. Hallelujah. And so uh, Isaiah uh, compiles this, this, this prophetic piece in, in the book of Isaiah, but he positions himself to speak for God to the people in this chapter. So let's, let's, let's walk through it. Let's walk through it. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Notice, notice he says here, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Look at the timing of Isaiah's conversion. In the year that King Uzziah died. Help me say, in the year. In the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord. What, what year was that? It was a year not only for him, a year of tragedy, but it was also a year of transition. Uh, Isaiah uh, was related to Uzziah. Uh, there are uh, scholars that say that Isaiah was um, was the nephew of King Uzziah, that that great king that uh, everyone had admired. He was sort of um, uh, John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan and uh, for many Barack Obama, all wrapped up in one. He was he was all of that in a bag of barbecue potato chips. He, Amen. He was an idol. Uh, to Isaiah, he idolized his uncle, his 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 mentor, his uncle, his role model, the person that he esteemed and and aspired to be like. Followed the footsteps of his uncle. All of a sudden, he dies. Amen. He had he had obtained leprosy because. He handled some holy things that he should have left alone. And, and the Bible says that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord. And, 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 and it was a time not only of political transition, but it was also a time of personal tragedy. He's, he, he, he's grieving. He's hurt. He's in pain. But he is also confused because he doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And, 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 and he says, in the midst of my pain and, and in light of this season of turmoil and confusion and transition, Isaiah says, in that 
year, in that season of my life, I also saw the Lord. What 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 a powerful word! For many years, I just quoted it, but it it, it hit me uh, several years ago because uh, in the year that my son died, in the year that my mother died, in the year that my father died, in the year that people that had an impact on my life, those times when you lose someone meaningful and impactful in your life, there's something that happens internally that allows you and causes you to see the world differently. Glory to God. And 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 it impacted me to the, the degree that I could I could relate to Isaiah in, in a very in a very powerful way because in that time of tragedy he saw the Lord because Many times what happens when we go through these seasons in our lives when where there's personal tragedy and transition, uh, the enemy wants us to see something else that would cause us to behave differently and move into a, a very disgusting time in our lives. Because truth be told, I, I'm a witness that when you go through a season of pain and struggle, that's the very time the enemy wants you to live and behave out of character. Amen. Uh, truth be told, you can go through so much tragedy until you feel like you owe yourself some sin. <laughs> oh, come on. Y'all lighten up. Amen. <laughs> amen. For all I've been through, this buds for you, you know. You feel justified because you want to ease the pain and 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 tragedy and transition can make you do some things but but Isaiah at that moment said in the year that my uncle died I saw the Lord I saw the world differently I saw myself differently I saw my future differently I saw the Lord and 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 when I saw him I was mesmerized by his majesty my brothers and sisters when when tragedy hits and when transition comes whether it be political or personal uh, I, 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 I challenge you to ask God to show you who he is. Because when he shows you who he is, it can change the trajectory of your life. Because I believe that that is a golden opportunity for God to show you who he is and give you the direction that you so desperately need. He said, I saw the Lord. I, I saw the Lord. I was hurt, but I saw him. I was in pain, but I saw him. Confused, but I saw him. Bewildered, but I saw the Lord. Isn't it, isn't it a blessing that God shows you who he is just when you need to see him? <laughs> he, he knows how much you can bear. And he knows that 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 you need to focus on him because, let's face it, if you focus on your pain, you're going to make some horrible decisions. If you focus on the negativity of your life's circumstances, you're going to say some things that you don't mean. 
You're going to go some places that you should not go. Say some things that you shouldn't. Have you ever said some things out of frustration and anger that you wish you could take back? <laughs> see, see, and, 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 and that's why, that's why when, whenever we go through our challenges in life, it is incumbent upon us to ask God, Lord, you show me your face. Show me who you are. I don't know who he needs to show you, how he needs to show you himself. You, sometimes you may need to ask him, Lord, show me that you're still Jehovah Rapha. Heal me. Show me that you're still Jehovah Jireh. Give me uh, the provision necessary. Show me that you are Jehovah Shalom. I need your peace. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, and, and I was mesmerized by his majesty, because watch this. He was sitting on a throne. Hallelujah. When, when, when tragedy and transition and trouble and trauma takes place in your life, God not only will show you, but he will show you that he's still on the throne. That means, my brothers and sisters, in practical application, that, that, that God will show you that whatever you're going through and whatever transpires in our lives, that he's still in charge. Amen. Look at somebody and tell him he's still in charge. He's, he's still on the throne. He's still the sovereign God. He's still king of kings and lord of lords. He's, he's still orchestrating the universe. Sometimes we feel frustrated because things don't go the way we want them to go. And sometimes we're disappointed because God doesn't act as fast as we want him to act. And he doesn't do everything that we pray for him to do. But when it's all said and done, he's still sovereign. He's still in charge. He's still on the throne. Amen. We're, we're in a horrible season here in America. We're in a horrible season in this country. Amen. Whichever way the election goes, amen. It seems like we can't kill nothing and won't nothing die because sometimes all of us have felt we're da- doomed if we do and then we're doomed if we don't. Say amen. No matter which way the cookie crumbles, there's going to be some drama. But what brings consolation to me is that he's still sovereign. He's still on the throne. And God is going to reign forever. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I was mesmerized by his majesty because his train filled the temple. Above him flew seraphims. I was mesmerized by by the the spirituality and the power of his presence. And how did he get there? How, how do we know that God is sovereign? How can we feel and recognize that God is still in charge? How how do we appreciate the fact that God is still king of kings and lord of lords well uh from an internal perspective i believe that we we honor him and we see him as king when we place him where he should be and we lift him and praise him and that's why worship is so vital worship is so uh pertinent in the lives of a christian because worship is you actually honoring God for who he is, whereas your praise is giving him glory for what he has done. And when you honor him, you place him in his rightful place. 
Amen. That's why worship is so important because if the truth be told, you must always worship God and honor him for who he is because everything you have and everything that you own comes from him. And he wants you to know that he's in charge and that whatever you know, he taught you. Whatever you have, he gave it to you. Say amen. Amen. And so he, uh, Isaiah was mesmerized by his mercy, mesmerized by his majesty. But, but notice what else uh, Isaiah says. His, he says, are you with me? He says, he says here, he says, above it flew seraphim. Each had six wings, two wings to cover his feet, two wings to cover his face, and two wings he flew. Uh, this recognition of the presence of God and the angels in the temple recognizes, helps us to recognize that God's presence does three things for us. God's presence, his power, uh, and what we see in worship is that we see the necessity to show proper modesty in the presence of divinity. With two wings, he covered his feet. There's something about the feet and and uh, uh, our placement that we honor God and show recognition for his majesty. Amen. With two wings, he covered his face because the power and presence of God was so intense that he could not stand to look at the presence of God with the naked eye. Hallelujah. And I believe that worship ought to become so intense and the glory of God should be so powerful sometimes that, that we, we, we can't really uh, uh, see because God's power is so intense that we ought to be able to just be blown away by his presence and get lost in his presence. And then two wings to fly away because you can only handle God's glory for a certain period of time. You remember when uh, Jesus and his inner circle were, were on the mountain of transfiguration and the images of those, those great prophets and, and, and Peter got so excited when he saw the images of the old prophets and, and, and the image of Jesus. And, and uh, Peter got so excited because the glory of God was so powerful. Peter said, good, googly woogly, let's build three tabernacles and stay here forever. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said, wait a minute. He said, we've got to come down from here. And the image of Elijah dissipated and the image of the other prophet dissipated and there was Jesus all by himself. And the reality is that no matter how intense God's glory is, there is an end to it and we must come back to reality. And let me say this, let me say this to you. As much as we enjoy worship and our time in church, when church is over, we must make some practical changes in our world and get back to reality after worship is over. Amen. And that's what 
that's what's so significant about this church and about your pastor and about uh, the agenda uh, of this congregation because I see you when worship is over, you're out in the community trying to make changes in this world through the political process, through serving the community because no matter how high you jump, your feet have to walk when it hits the ground. No matter how high we get in worship, amen, we must still be responsible for what happens here on planet Earth. Amen. And so uh, six wings, two wings to fly, two wings to cover his feet, two wings uh, to cover his face. And, and, and watch this, verse, uh, verse number uh, six, ver- verse number, verse number, uh, I'm sorry, verse number four, three says, and one cried to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Glory to God. And, and now that Isaiah has experienced the powerful presence of God and has been mesmerized by his majesty, the next move in this narrative, the next move in this text suggests to us that he was mortified by his own reality. Hallelujah. When you have been in the presence of God, is there anybody that will agree with me that when you've been in the presence of God, you can never be the same? You, 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 you can't remain the same because there are three things that should happen and it's evidenced in this text. There are three things that should happen and you need to remember this. If, even if you're 100 years old with Alzheimer's, I need y'all to remember these three things. When you've been in the presence of God, three things ought to happen and it's very evident in this text. First of all, Isaiah became humble came humbled. He says, woe is me. I am undone. There's something humiliating that happens to you when you see yourself in the light of God's presence. When when you see yourself for, for who you really are, there's something that happens to him. you ought to become amen and I don't believe listen to this I don't believe that any Christian that experiences powerful worship can remain arrogant proud and haughty I don't believe it because if 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 you attend church and, and if you experience worship and and you you've sat under powerful preaching like you do and if you you've sat under the teaching of God's word and you and you've spent time in the presence of God you can't leave arrogant because the bible says that pride goeth before destruction Holy Spirit before a fall. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. There's there's a sense of humility that should pervade the house when you leave the presence of God. But not only not only that, uh, Isaiah says not only something was I humbled because I said, what was me? He also was honest. 
Hallelujah. Because there's something about humility that helps you to see yourself for who you really are. Humility brings about honesty. Amen. I'm going to need you to do one other thing. Let me know that you're still here. Shake somebody's hand and tell them, neighbor. Humility brings about honesty. (laughs) Yeah. Humility brings about honesty. When you have been humiliated, you are forced to see yourself for who you are. When you see God for who he is, you can then see yourself for who you are. And and that's humiliating in itself because is anybody agree with me that there are some things about yourself that you really don't want to see? Huh? That, that there's some there's some things about yourself that you know you need to change. Amen. And God has a way of orchestrating life, and He brings us in His presence every Sunday morning so that we can be humbled and be honest with ourselves. Amen. There comes a time when you don't need to be honest with other people. Amen. We, 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 we really need to see ourselves and be honest with ourselves. Amen. Amen. I, there are times when, 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 I, when I preached and God has used me and I've been in the presence of God. And, uh, you know, as preachers sometimes we, we, we like that immediate gratification Oh, I enjoyed your message. You're such an awesome preacher. Yeah, tell me that after church. I'll eat it up. But when it's all said and done, I know my shortcomings. I know that when I leave God's presence, that there are some things about myself that I need to change. And you cannot really become all that you should be as a preacher, as a member, as a Christian, if you don't allow yourself to be examined, woe is me. I am undone. I, I'm going to be honest with myself. Watch this. I am a man of unclean lips. Hallelujah. How, how, how humiliating is that? I, I am a man of unclean lips. And I got it honest because I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. I am a product of my environment. Amen. And because we are who we are and we don't always see ourselves the way we want to see ourselves, that, 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 that challenges us to have a regular and consistent life in the worship of God. That's why I come to church. That, that, that's why I make prayer meeting and Bible study, revival and seminars and Sunday morning services such a, such a, a vital part of my life because I, I need God's presence so that I can see myself for who I am because we are all Listen to this. We're all fundamentally flawed. Huh? 
We're, we're all fundamentally flawed. Amen. It's, there, there are times in my life that, that I have to look at myself and say, okay, you're, you're can, can I be honest with y'all? You know, you're, 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 you're saying, okay, uh, you see other people as racist, but what about you? Huh? What about you? You you need to look at yourself. You know, have you have have you shunned some people that didn't look like you? Did you refuse to make time for people of other races? Did 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 you did you say some things that you didn't think through? And it's only when you are in the presence of God can you really see your flaws and say, woe is me. Glory to God. That's why, beloved, I believe in my heart that in light of all of what's going on in this country and all of the the racial challenges that this country is dealing with right now, I believe that our only hope is for those of us who are Christians to rush into the presence of God. And when we get into the presence of God, everybody, black, white, brown, polka dot, purple, or pink, will be able to say, woe is me. I'm undone. I've said some things that I shouldn't have said. Watch this. Because I've been around some people who are saying the same things. Hallelujah. Humility leads us to honesty. And when you get to that place of brutal honesty, somebody help me say brutal honesty. Yeah, that's the kind of honesty that you really don't want to see and that hurt. That is the time when you move from humility to honesty to holiness. Glory to God. Notice the text. It's right here. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. But now that I'm in the presence of God, Isaiah says, now that I have been mortified by my own reality, and, and, and I'm honest with myself. I now can move to a place of holiness because notice what he says. He says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal that he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And, and, and I need you to help me read this. Verse 7, and what happened? Okay, I want. I need everybody to say. I need everybody to read this out loud. Come on. And he did what? He touched my mouth with it. The true evidence of holiness is when our mouths can be sanctified. Our mouths can become holy. Our mouths can become clean. Our speech changes when you're in the presence of God. The the, the tongue from off the altar 
touched his lips and he began to speak differently. His language changed. His, his, his genre, his speech changed. Hallelujah. Because his mouth had been sanctified. That's why, my brothers and sisters, the Bible talks so much about the mouth. You can't even be saved until you engaged in the miracle of the mouth. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the, what, mouth, confession is made of, made salvation. Bible says that we're snared by the words of our mouth. Hallelujah. We can use our mouth, mouths to bless or curse. We use our speech to speak things that are not as though they were. We can impose blessings and cursings upon people based on what comes from our lips. Listen to this. The Bible says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. Amen. I, and that, that's a powerful piece, especially since I love to eat pork. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I can eat ribs, barbecue ribs, ham, Ham hocks. Okay, y'all don't like this, but I do. Pig feet. <laughs> Chitterling. In Arkansas, they call them chitlins. Say man. Uh, I, I can eat all of that unhealthy pork, but it won't hurt you. I could eat five slabs of ribs for the next five days and it won't affect you my brother it won't hurt you you'll just say he's crazy and he's eating himself to death you know you may talk about me but it's not going to hurt you but there's some things that can come out of my mouth that can destroy you bring pain to you amen it's not what goes into a man that defiles him it's what comes out and when we allow God to purge us the first evidence of holiness is when God cleans up your speech amen hallelujah he touched my mouth what what else did he say here he 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 he, he it touched my mouth with it and behold um this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged. And, and then he goes on to say, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Watch this. So he's mesmerized by the majesty of God. He's mortified by his own reality. But finally, he is magnetized by the message that comes from God. There's something about what God has to say through him that draws Isaiah 
back to God. Hallelujah. And when we're, when we've been in the presence of God and when we've been changed, there's a magnetism that, 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 that happens in our soul that sends us and speaks for us in a way that brings glory to God and added power to our lives. Let me wrap this up by saying this, beloved. Isaiah went in as a priest who spoke to God for the people. But after his experience and encounter with God, he is now transitioned to a prophet to speak to the people for God. What a powerful transition. And you can't do that without having an experience with God. Um, he goes in. This, this verse starts out. This passage starts out with Isaiah being religious because he was taught to be religious. He was born into a religious family. He was socialized and religionized uh, to be religious. He, he knew all of the nuances of the temple. He, he knew how to make the sacrifices and set the candles right. He knew which animals to sacrifice and how they were to be laid on the altar. He knew when to go into the holies of holies and, 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 and when. He, he knew all of the dynamics of the temple and temple life. What about you? What about me? I was raised in church. I knew all the nuances. I knew all of the hymns. I knew how to have church. As a matter of fact, this is gonna this is gonna blow you blow you away. I knew how to preach before I was called. <laughs> if you're ever in a black church, you you, you better learn how to shout. Amen. You, amen. If you go to a black church, amen. If they see white folks shouting in the black church, they're going to know that I took, gave you some shouting lessons. Amen. 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 I learned how to shout before I got really delivered from my sins. I, I, I knew how to pray because I had a praying mother. I, I knew the, the, the movements of the church because as a young Christian, uh, I had a I had a drug problem. My mama drugged me to church and <laughs> drugged me to Sunday school and <laughs> drugged me to prayer meeting. I, 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 I knew how to do church before I became a real Christian. But one Sunday morning power and presence of God convicted me and I had an Isaiah experience I saw the Lord and I transitioned at that moment from become, from being religious to being spiritual that process took a process of me being mesmerized by his majesty because I saw God for who he was Mortified by my own reality because I saw myself for who I was. And then God put a magnetism in me 
where I had to do his will because I couldn't help myself. But more than that, he conditioned my soul. And when you're in the presence of God, he conditions your heart to say the things that are edifying and pleasing to God and beneficial to other people. You watch your mouth. God begins to condition your heart through worship. And and when he gives you an authentic encounter with him, he makes you sensitive to the need to do ministry and to give yourself to the last, the lost, the least, the left out, those that are crying out for God, who needs to hear a word from God. And in closing, my challenge to you is that when you leave this place, that you will seek God and ask God to show you his presence, that you may see yourself, and in doing so, condition your heart to engage in the kind of ministry that will make a difference in somebody's life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we bless your name. We honor you because you're such a good and gracious God. And I I pray, God, that uh, in, in the quietness of this room that we'll be able to feel your presence and know that you're speaking that we'll be able to sense that you're making a shift in our hearts and and that you're in the process of conditioning us so that we can be of use to you. Help us through this whole process of teaching and learning and listening that we would humble ourselves before you and be honest with ourselves, seek to be the holy person that will position ourselves to be used by you. God, we bless you. Because you love us enough to not leave us religious, but you care enough about us to make us spiritual and position us to be used by you in a powerful way. We give you glory and praise and honor because your word is yea and amen. I pray, God, that this will not only be a discourse of of verbal exchange from your word, but your anointing would destroy yokes of pride and, and, and dishonesty in all of our hearts so that we can live in the beauty of holiness to do the kind of ministry that will indeed make a difference. And if you'll do that for us, Father, we will give you praise in Jesus' name. Now do me a favor. Put your hands together and say, Lord, I thank you for your word. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord in this house. Come on.